Caught Offside with Andrew Gunling and J.J. Devaney. Oh, yes. Caught Offside just outside of New York City and from back in the United States of America, in Brooklyn, in fact. Andrew Gunling, J.J. Devaney. What's up, brother? No more bonjour. No more bienvenue. Just hello. Welcome back. Maybe ever again for you. You know, I really enjoyed every part of the weekend, uh, Friday, most of Saturday, and then the game itself, and obviously everything surrounding that uh, definitely left a sour taste in the mouth. And now, at the moment, it's a it's a few days of reflection and kind of feeling like, just in football terms, that's one we left behind. That that's that's one when the tally of this era of Liverpool comes. And uh, not having that one will be uh, will be very disappointing. What a podcast we are about to do. JJ, every once in a while, we come across these podcasts and so many things are happening that I almost don't know how to do it, where to begin, how to gather my thoughts. This essentially could be a standalone podcast for the Champions League final between Real Madrid and Liverpool. It could be a standalone podcast for all of the insanity and the debacle that was everything leading up to the match and following the match. It could be a standalone podcast for Robert Lewandowski now demanding to leave Bayern Munich, arguably the world's best player, one of the top three players in the world. Sadio Mane demanding to leave Liverpool. I mean, let's start start here. I think I know how I want to go through this. Okay. I first want to start with, you know, there were so many people who obviously listened to this podcast who were genuinely excited for you, uh, who were very curious about how your trip was going to go, whether or not you would get a ticket, whether or not you would get into the building. Um, You can now answer all those questions, obviously. And then that will kind of take us right into the next portion of this. You know, every all the information that we've heard about things that have gone on outside of that stadium Uh, on that night have kind of been secondhand. We've seen reports from different reporters or things on Twitter, but you were there. So first take us through how you actually got your ticket, how you got into the stadium. And then from there, we'll kind of go into the way you experienced that night. Well, I I should, I should say when I left you. So the last you heard of me was on Friday noon, American time. So six o'clock Parisian time. And I'd finished recording with you. We put the podcast out. I went into the street to this glorious evening sunshine and the Liverpool supporters had closed the cop bar on Boulevard Ney, which was just down the block from us. So we went down and everyone was singing songs. Uh, Beer was being drank in the streets. Uh, The traffic was definitely being disrupted. Um, And no, there was a there was a party atmosphere, a party vibe. Um, we, uh, myself and then uh, our mutual friend Burke and his friend Kuba, we went to a bar to get some get some food and that bar was full of Liverpool supporters and the singing continued and uh, later that evening then I went and met with a listener uh, Ben and his friends and uh, we just had a drink there and then we called it a night because there was a big day ahead so Saturday came around still no ticket um, and I was like the more the closer the game got was I really want to go to the game you know um, so uh, that Saturday we Afternoon, we went to a North African restaurant, myself, Burke, Kuba, and former U.S. international and current first soccer ventures, 
man, uh, Heath Pierce, and we had like this North African cuisine, which was mm. beautiful, absolutely gorgeous. Like the the molding of French food and 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 that kind of North African flavor, and it was it was really very good. And then um, I we went to the fan park, and in the fan park, I've never seen anything like it. So it was Jamie Webster who was the, I suppose, to non Liverpool supporters, he'd be the guy who took the song "La La La" and you know recorded it and kind of parlayed this into a career where he sings Liverpool songs and goes to concerts or, or does concerts with basically singing football songs. And so he's there on stage and Andrew, the place is like, it's packed and it's this beautiful park with um, loads of, you know, beautiful French architecture and it's full of Liverpool supporters like everywhere. Cans are being drinking openly in the park. The gendarmerie seem fairly relaxed which we would subsequently find out that their friends at the stadium would not be. And, um, and it was good. It was a good atmosphere. And then I got a message from a friend of mine, uh, Sean, who is a huge Glasgow Celtic supporter and also a, a man who has been to his fair share of concerts, gigs, events, football matches, finals, everything. And he, uh, he contacted me and he said, I have a ticket for you uh, from, uh, from a guy I know. Just can, can you can you confirm for me your UEFA email so I can send it? And so basically, your UEFA sa- email. So so the safest way and the best way to get tickets now is you. It's the easiest thing. You download the UEFA tickets app. You register. Very simple registration process. Like like literally and thirty seconds to do it, and you have a, a, a validated email there, and the ticket is sent electronically to your phone. So you don't have to, you know, it's, if it's coming through the UEFA app, it's valid. This feels like important information, knowing what's to come. Yes. So, so I, I really didn't want to. Now, there, there's always, let's get this out of the road early. There's always fake tickets. There's always fake t- tickets. The volume of fake tickets we'll get to later. But there mm-hmm. wasn't, there's always a few, always a few. And you want to avoid that. By the I've way, been- a buddy of mine once went to a Temple football game. Like, talk about like fairly unimportant events and he was given a fake ticket. Yeah. Like this is not exclusive to UEFA or soccer. Like this stuff happens. It happens everywhere. Uh, the, the claim of industrial scale is the lie that we will debunk later. But anyway, um, so there's always a few hanging around. I'd been in touch with a, a, a tout who I met on Saturday night, who was over from England, appeared to be operating out of an airport hotel and he was selling tickets on. I don't know how he was getting them, but they seemed like legit tickets. But I had lost contact with him on Saturday morning and he, he, he said he was pretty much sold out. So, okay. So I have to get out of the fan park because I can't get reception because everyone is on their phone. And, and when you have a, a foreign phone, you definitely don't, you seem to be squeezed out of the, uh, the reception stakes. It was much harder to, for me to get, to get signal. So I left um, Place de la Nacion and well, I didn't, I mean, I went to a bar close to Place de la Nacion and I found Wi-Fi and I sat down with a beer and then my ticket comes in around six o'clock. So that's three hours to kick off. Now I've since left Burke and Cuba who we took the Metro to get to Place de la Nacion. And, and this is important information. So if I just stayed with them, I would have probably got the Metro to the stadium, but I didn't. So I'm on my own. I'm separated. I'm like, what am I going to do here? I think I need to, I need to get on the road. You know, I, I feel like I've got my ticket now. Get back to the Airbnb, change my shirt. My Airbnb was in Aubervilliers, which was 
20 minute walk from, from the stadium. So I, I, I checked the Uber prices and they were obviously through the roof because people are starting to move at that point towards mm-hmm. the stadium. Of course. And most of the Liverpool fans that were there, there was at least 40,000 ticketless fans. There was like tens of thousands at Place de la Nation. They're not going anywhere, actually, because most of them don't have tickets. The vast majority don't. So they're not moving, but plenty are. So I started to walk. I got, I got out uh, Google Maps, walked in the direction of, it, was a, it, w- if, it would take me an hour and a half to walk back to the Airbnb. So I said, I'll walk as far as I can to get out of the, the heavy Uber calls and, and where, where people are really looking for lots of taxis and stuff. I'll walk as far as I can, grab a taxi. So that's what I did. Got into a taxi. As I'm in the taxi, the taxi driver is telling me, as we pre- uh, get close to Aubervilliers, Saint-Denis, that area, the traffic is terrible, Andrew. And he says, it's a nightmare. He goes, this happens every time there's any kind of event at the Stade de France. It just completely backs up. So I'm looking at my watch and I'm thinking, I'm going to get back to my apartment around 7.15, my Airbnb. I was like, okay, that's fine. 15, uh, 20 minute walk, fine. So um, as I'm approaching and we're stuck in traffic, we're about five minutes out. I flick through my phone and this is around seven o'clock. And people, listeners, have tagged me in photos of what are pretty disturbing scenes at the Stade of France of overcrowding, of, of a concourse completely full with people who appear to be going nowhere, jammed. And I'm like, is this what the whole stadium is going to be like? So I got into the Airbnb, changed my shirt. I walk to the Stade de France. Beautiful evening. The Stade de France is in a really like, if you've seen the, the, the more industrial and um, really kind of outskirts scenes from uh, The Wire or something like that. That's where, that's where the Stade de France is. It's in one of the, the it's the poorest suburb in, in France. I heard Thierry Henry talking about it. Yes. He said, Saint-Denis is not a place you want to be. Trust me, it's not a place you want to be. That no. Was what he, that was, those are his words. Correct. Now, in the daylight, even walking towards the ground, uh, I noticed a huge amount of like what you would, I guess, call local youths, you know, who are mm-hmm. just hanging around, walking around there. And I mean, that's their neighborhood. I'm coming into their neighborhood. That's absolutely totally, totally fine. And, you know, a few of them shouting Hala Madrid at me because I'm in my red jersey. But I noticed the traffic's pretty bad. I get to the stadium and... I have to say, Andrew, I saw very, very little of what people were experiencing. But Ben, our listener, was texting me all the way through. And what he described was pretty horrific. And what Burke, our friend, described was pretty horrific. Now, by the time I got there, so I logged in. So they checked my ticket. So I came to the first barrier. They checked that your ticket is a ticket to let you get close to the stadium. Mm -hmm. I felt that first barrier, Andrew, was too close to the stadium that the ticket check needed to happen way further back, but whatever. So you're kind of, you've come away from like the, you're really in the, in the plaza for want of a better word of the, of the Stade de France, get my ticket checked about seven, checked about seven thirty nine. I strolled into the ground Amazing. Through, gate, through gate D. I had no, I had an inkling through the texts I was seeing and the, the messages and the Twitter social media that things were bad but it was on a side of the stadium that I couldn't properly see. And all my reports. Can I ask you a question then? Yeah. So was where you went in, was this, obviously this was not a liver, 
pool specific entrance? No, was it, it was a Real neutral. Madrid entrance? Was it just? I was in a neutral. Uh, D appeared to be neutral. So I was in D06, block D06. And that appeared to be neutral. So, um, so there was mixed Real Madrid, Liverpool fans and also fans who'd won, who'd won their tickets in the ballot. Okay. So like there was a guy beside me, for example, who was, a, I guess, a Colombian American who just got his ticket and decided to go to the game. He wasn't supporting either team. He was, if anything, he was supporting Luis Diaz. Um, and then we're in the stadium and the Real Madrid end looks fairly full. The Liverpool end looks sparse. Mm-hmm. And I'm getting the text messages and the reports and the TV coverage coming through. And then obviously the first-hand reports of Ben and Burke telling me what's happening. Um, it was so frightening that a friend of Ben's who had bought a ticket the night before for what I would class as an absor- exorbitant amount of money. Um, but, you know, it was one of those things where she just went for it, right? Mm-hmm. She was so frightened, traumatized by what happened. She didn't even continue to go into the game. She just went home. It was, it was absolutely awful. And I think if I'd been on the metro, if I'd been on, on the rail, rather, to the stadium with the fans, I would have been funneled into this bottleneck that the police had created. However, because I walked, just it, it was basically the, the, the reason I got away with it and stayed away from the trouble was because of the way that I entered the stadium and that I didn't actually come off the train into this bottleneck Basically, what, what we think happened or, or pretty much what we know happened was that all the fans were like filtered into this, into this bottleneck that the police had created that was just too narrow for the volume of fans coming through. And it overwhelmed the first people who were supposed to be there to check tickets. Then they decided, OK, we'll just let everyone through and then we'll close the gate, the actual entry gate to the stadium, meaning that's, that's what you saw crowded outside. That's why you saw the police pepper spraying through people through the fence. Like the, the reaction of the French police was nothing short of disgraceful. That is not how you, first of all, you are, you are a part of creating this problem. Then to, to indiscriminately attack fans was unbelievable. Now there's a second point to be made that Real Madrid had supporters had similar problems at their end. Let's debunk that narrative straight away. I came home on a plane with a guy who was at the game, a Real Madrid supporter. And he told me that on their way in, there was such kind of chaos and disruption that there were, again, these, we'll call them local youths, for want of a better term, local kids, local men, who basically took advantage of the chaos, hopped the fence themselves. I mean, we have the video of them. We've seen, into- I've seen countless videos of it. Yeah. Um, he told, the, the Real Madrid supporter told me how they tried to take, grab his tickets or they were trying to grab phones so they could get the QR codes to get in. When that was not available to them, they hopped the fence and ran in. During the game, Andrew, we had five, um, what I would say, casually dressed, non-Liverpool, non-Real Madrid supporters stood at the barrier. So when you, when you come up into any stadium, baseball stadium, it doesn't matter what it is, you come up the steps, you go left, you go right, but there's a barrier at the front that you can lean on and see the whole field. Mm-hmm. You are not supposed to stand there. Of course. There was five people there for the entirety of the 90 minutes that had just gotten into the stadium, however they had gotten into the stadium. And there are numerous reports that you've seen by now of, of similar people sitting in the aisles yes, watching the game. People so that sim- clearly did not have tickets to this event. Correct. And I, 
at the top of the steps, there was a, a, you know, a young French girl who was, when you get to the top of the steps, there's always the greeter person who says, mm-hmm. your ticket is to the left, your ticket is to the right, your seat's to the left or to the right. And I came down at half time, and those guys were leaning there to use the bathroom. And I just looked at her and I went, what's going on here? And she just shrugged. She's like, and rolled her eyes. She's like, what am I supposed to do? It's too late once they've got that far. You're, they're not being removed. Um, so, yeah, it was. But I don't agree with that. Like, I've been to sporting events where people try to get into certain sections that don't have a ticket and they're told no. And if there's an issue, security are brought over but, and it's handled. Yeah, but it was. You saw some guys running up steps, sprinting up steps, dodging guys in lanyards who were trying to stop them. And once they got in, they, it appears as if they never, ever really got a handle on, on removing them. Mm-hmm. This and was then wild to compound yeah. things. Just to absolutely raise the temperature even further for those of us in the stadium who had contact with people who knew what was going on outside was the UEFA PA con- consistently saying the game is delayed due to supporters arriving late. Categorical nonsense. Supporters were there two hours before kickoff in some cases three More. hours i saw a tweet from keith costigan who said we arrived at the stadium around 6 30 two and a half hours before kickoff and the security were already doing an awful job we were kept in the same tight area for over 80 minutes barely moving disgraceful fans rightfully upset hope everyone is okay yeah uh, organization was just now look you usually have a longer run-in to organize a champions league final but I still think that at a modern stadium in France, three months is enough to get this right. So, so let's, so let's, now you've laid it all out. We'll get to the game, of course. And if people just strictly, if you, if people have had enough of this from the last few days of it, go ahead, fast forward to the game. I totally understand. We're going to do a ton on that as well. Um, but with this stuff, so there's a few questions that, that come to my mind and we'll go through them. Um, the first one being, uh, the, the fact that it was Liverpool fans that seemed to, for the most part, be subjected to this. Now, after the game is a different story, and we'll talk about that as well, yeah. when everyone was subjected to chaos. Uh, but in the build-up to the game, I'm just wondering, JJ, is that pure... Uh, uh, this is not an indictment. I, this is a genuine question. Is that a coincidence? It just so happened that Liverpool fans were sitting at a certain end of the field where the geography of the stadium and the way things were laid out was going to be more conducive to this sort of bottlenecking that we've heard about. Or is there anything to this idea that, I mean, look, if you look at some behavior of English fans at different UEFA events recently, you can go back to Wembley last year at the European Championships and, and the chaos that, that evolved there. You can go back to Euros in France, the, the English fans in Marseille and the fights between them and Russian fans. If there is some sort of reputation that comes with English fans right now that would cause French police to maybe be on a different level of alert regarding them, than they would be Real Madrid supporters. But yeah, but Andrew, there's no question that when the French police see English fans, they know what to expect or what they, what they believe. Or what their perception is. What their perception is. There's no question of that. But I mean, the, none of the problems were the problems you're talking about. You're talking about right. running battles, violence. There was none of that. Right. I'm saying that it felt to me by now, if there had been something like that, that involved Liverpool supporters, trust me, I've seen about a thousand videos posted on Twitter of events that went on around the stadium. Not one, not a single one involves any sort of 
outburst or violent incident involving what appears to be a Liverpool fan. No, no, and, that, and no. it just feels like the police in this instance may have come ready for a battle that just wasn't there to be fought. Yeah, and they almost. But they but didn't like, know how to handle it, it, well, it any other like, way. Yeah, I know. I know what you're saying. But like a, a battle, like they, they're the ones like that have penned and locked people in and then walked along the sides of the railing and spread them when people are being crushed. Mm-hmm. Like that's that's just they are the aggressor. They're also the organizer. They created this. It was their fault. They and, and well, they know it. We have the video of the young man going through the turnstile with his ticket. And the ticket is scanned, the turnstile turns, and as it turns, the French police, he just sprays him. It's like, it it was so random. And the kid falls to the ground and inside, he's already been led into the ground. What is the purpose of that? Except to to treat supporters like animals. Absolutely disgusting. Launching tear gas at people. What? And you want them to disperse. Disperse where? You've channeled them into this. It was complete madness the way the whole event was handled the the fact that there was the rail dispute that closed one of the one of the avenues i suppose of supporters to get to the ground and meant that there was even less space there was just this this one when everyone got off the train they almost went the one way but the french police should have known that and been able to to deal with that properly the not just the french police the uefa the organizers everything and and this has been a particularly bad run for UEFA because it started last year after lockdown when we had the European Championship final and, and the complete debacle and the way things were handled there. And then just a few weeks ago, last week, uh, Rangers and Frankfurt, the way that the Rangers supporters were and Frankfurt supporters were treated inside the stadium in Seville with lack of basic access to water and to things of that nature. And then... You have, you know, we heard about Rangers fans drinking out of the taps in the bathrooms of the stadium, you know, in, in, in a heat wave in Seville. Crazy. And then you have this. It seems to me that UEFA has either forgotten how to run these events or is just really just showing the complete contempt it has for its supporters. And it's not like things got better after the game. Once. I, well, we'll get to that. OK, we'll get to that. We'll stay chronological. So. Basically, here's what I'm trying to figure out. So in the wake of all this, um, the French interior minister gave a press conference and it felt like the the primary blame, it felt like the narrative that they were trying to create was that the police and UEFA, I guess, and the French authorities, all of them were put in an impossible situation because in upwards of 30 to 40,000 fake tickets were out there and uh, it became an untenable situation trying to to keep those out who had fake tickets. Now, before we dive deeper into that, uh, I just want to put that number into perspective. Oliver Kay, football writer for The Athletic, he tweeted this. I think he nails it. French interior minister says 70% of tickets coming into the Stade de France were fake. That would mean 175,000 fake tickets on top of 75,000 attendants. Given that, while held at a checkpoint for an hour, I saw zero evidence of any fake tickets. This sounds like total BS. There's just not, it's not real. This is, this is not, not dealing in reality. No, and that was the French interior minister, Gérard Darmian, that said that. But, but Andrew, like, that was the first thing. So you plant that seed from an official, uh, official source. And, and um, by the way, not to cut you off, but the, the other problem with, 
giving statistics like that, like, okay, fine. Maybe, maybe there was a fake ticket problem. Maybe it was more than whatever a normal fake ticket problem would be at a big event. I don't know. I, I couldn't possibly answer that. But the problem is you lose all credibility when you've got Andy Robertson, a player involved in the game, who personally gave his allotted ticket to a friend who couldn't get in because that friend was told it's a fake ticket. But that's not true. It wasn't a fake ticket. It was given to him directly by a member of Liverpool's football team. Like, so the credibility of the French authorities are out the window. They can't be believed in this situation. And the figures they're throwing out are so bonkers. It's just impossible. But it, it's amazing that, um, it, you know, the brazenness of the lies. Like, they, it, like so, so the sports minister, Emile Odea Castera, said French authorities were extremely sorry for the approximately 2,700 fans with tickets who were unable to enter the state of France because of the crowd control problems, suggested they receive compensation, and then told, again, this to me is, Odea Castera told RTL Radio that Liverpool, in contrast to Real Madrid, had failed to organize the supporters who came to Paris. This is a quote from her to RTL. Liverpool let its supporters on the loose. This what is does major... that even mean? Yeah, Liverpool's it... not the babysitter of the fans who are attending this event. These are grown-ups. The, the club's not in charge. But again, it's part of it, it's part of like setting the narrative that it right. was supporter, supporter unrest, supporter behavior that caused all right. this. They they are painting a picture here. There's a bad guy here. It's yes. not us. It's correct. Them. It's Don't everything f- having to do with Liverpool. Don't focus on us. Look elsewhere. And it's this time. It's not going to wash. It's not going to work. There's too much. We have there's, too many people. There's too much are, visual evidence. Yeah. Yeah. Look, they got it wrong. They absolutely got it wrong. It was really, really poorly organized. So I've been trying to go through. To me, there are essentially three, for lack of a better term, bad actors here. And if I'm leaving anyone out, check me on it. Call me okay. on it. Um, who like I'm trying to figure out how to proportion blame for this disaster. UEFA, the police non-ticketed locals how do, um, how do, like every time i try to point at one there's a thread from another one that leads me into that one i'm trying to figure out right like, well, well where where this all really went wrong and who was mostly to blame for it right well the stade de france has been there 20 years right in that I- I- impoverished area with those often people on the lowest rung of the socioeconomic ladder so they've organized events here before. So I, I, I'm just going to, if it's properly policed, those people don't get near the ground that jumped the fence and got in, those locals, as we call them, right? So I, I just want to remove them just for one second, and I will circle back to them later in the conversation. But to me, the French police acted in the most unprofessional manner. There was no aggression, and they acted aggressively and almost turned it, uh, a situation that was bad into something that was, it, there could have been fatalities with that mass amount of people. The police's job there is to manage a situation, not to exacerbate. And to keep and, people safe. Exactly. That's their job. But, um, but, the, but organization, the, the only part that I want to bring up about non-ticketed locals is that you say there was no aggression. But I've seen videos that would, that would point to the opposite of that. Not aggression in the sense of attacking police, but aggression in the oh, sense no, no, of no. mass amounts of people jumping fences to try to illegally trespass into an event they don't have a ticket no, for. No, the aggression... I, the I police do that, have to do something about no, that. I'm talking about the aggression, that there was no aggression from, from the, the Liverpool supporters or the Real Madrid supporters. 
like there was no there was no violence. There was nothing that the police had. We got to step in here and stop this. Which, by the way, like not to say that there's ever a situation where I would understand people mounting some sort of uprising against authorities like or, or the police, like at but, a game like this. However, I would say this. The, the fact that that didn't happen when you've asked people, Real Madrid supporters, Liverpool supporters, whoever, to pay. I mean, for a lot of people, it's probably the most money they've ever spent on a ticket in their entire life. Definitely. And plus, they had to pay for travel to get there. Plus, they had to pay for what were probably jacked up hotel costs and all that. This was probably a trip that some people, some people may not be able to do anything for a while because of the money they spent on this trip. So you've asked people to do that. To, to attend this event. Now you've put them in a bottleneck where they're excited for this thing that they've been waiting for for a couple of weeks. And here we go. It's finally here. I'm getting to the stadium. Now you've asked those people to stand in one space among thousands of people for an upwards of, I mean, I've seen reports of 90 minutes. Some people have said two hours. You've now asked them to do that with no explanation. You've shut gates off. People don't know where they're going. From everything I've heard, signage is a disaster. People didn't know where they were supposed to be or if there was a different way that they could go to get somewhere else. Like you've asked people to put up with all of this with the background of they've spent more money on this event than many of them have spent on anything in their lives. It's, it's pretty commendable that people were able to hold their nerve as long as they were and that there were no incidents involving fans who had to deal with this. Yeah, absolutely. And um I think the line has been that Liverpool fans were and Real Madrid fans were remarkably calm considering the situation. Just to circle back to one other thing, Miguel Delaney wrote a really good piece about the confluence of issues, the organization, the Metro, the police that all came together. Like it wasn't just one thing. Um, Miguel tweeted, and as was reported Sunday night, the domino effect of chaos started with Liverpool fans being directed to a station with just four corridors rather than one with 16, creating a bottleneck. Mm -hmm. This is all organizational. But they knew there was going to be a strike. They knew there was going to be a problem entering the stadium by public transport. And it was not dealt with. And they did not make provision for it. And when the fans are herded into this tiny area where they're just, you know, completely crushed up against each other, the police then instead of managing the situation or attempting to manage it, turned aggressive. Um, yeah, so, so back to apportioning blame. It, to me, it's UEFA, the French organizing authorities, and I, I, I presume you know, the, the French police and the French Football Federation, who obviously had a hand in, in, well, in I think they this. oversaw security. Well, there you go. Yeah. I mean, you don't get something like this without a collapse on multiple fronts. No, I think essentially you, you, cer- is, is you certainly answer. don't. There were a lot of failures that led to this. And then as for what happened after the game, I mean, I think a lot of people kind of the game ended the, in their minds. The chaos of all that was over. People turned off their TVs, went to bed or whatever. Oh my God. And then you come to find out that things for a lot of people were far worse afterward than they were beforehand. It was as scary a scenario as I've ever seen leaving the ground anywhere. So you come out. What a I, statement. I, yeah. Like I've, I've been to hundreds of stadiums in my life. I've never felt unsafe leaving a game. This is oh, so God. bizarre. So, so I'm on my own essentially. Um, so my companions are in hospitality. So they, 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 they text me and said, we're going to stay for a wee drink afterwards. I assessed the situation and said, I don't want to stay around here at all. I want out. I didn't even go and get a match program. I went down to the bottom concourse to the pitch level just to have a quick glimpse 
Got your dual team scarf, right? <laughs> of Carlo Ancelotti dancing around the place with the rest of the players. Took a quick video out. So I come up up the steps, and as I'm coming out, uh, there's a, a gendarme in the full riot gear with these unbelievable, these boots that come up to the knee that I suppose like are fire retardant. And if, if something's thrown at you, it's like, it's a scene from a post-apocalyptic, like these storm, these... Uh, I got to be careful what I say here. They, they were, the police were dressed in pretty, they look pretty scary. So I'm coming out as I go down towards the, the I mean, a lot of entrance to the stadium is you, you come under this massive under the underpass of a highway and I'm coming down the steps and I see the French police kind of just stood in a line holding back like tens of, of local youths who want to get in, probably want to get in and, try and get, gain access to the stadium to see the celebrations at the very least or do something else as we found out. So I'm like, I'm not, I'm, I'm, I'm not doing this. So I, I walk down the steps and there's just local French youths walking towards you, st- streaming towards you. And you're like, what's the intent here? Now, the most I got was a bunch of them shouting Hala Madrid at me, but there's Liverpool fans trying to get taxis out of, out of the stadium, I'm, I'm sure it was really, really tough. Thankfully, I had a 20-minute walk in the dark. <laughs> so I'm thinking, oh, God. So your natural thing is one hand, the right hand goes into a ball of a fist, like oh. just in case. If I got to do something or something has to happen here, and you're, you're terrified, like absolutely terrified. There's a couple of guys, uh, locals, <laughs> are, <laughs> are selling beer. So they're in the street, and they're like, do you want to, you know, do you want to buy beers? I'm like, well, what am I going to do with these beers? Uh, no, thank you. Keep walking. I get grabbed at one point by this six foot five guy who, in fairness, he's a local kid, but he, he just sees me in the jersey and he's wearing a Liverpool scarf and he wants to like, you know, commiserate. And I'm like, no, no, no. I just, no, merci, merci. Allez les rouges. I just want to get home, you know? <laughs> so, so I keep walking and um, there's still a, there's a few police, but the police are less and less as I get towards the, the roadway alongside the canal. As you get further away from the stadium. Yeah, there's less and less, and it becomes scarier and scarier. And I'm trying to remember the route home. I have my Google map on, just, just checking where I'm supposed to be going. And I come over a bridge across the canal to the far side, and I think, now I know where I am. I go right here. I go right down the street, and all I can hear is this shout after me. Hey, Liverpool. And I'm like, oh, God. And there's no one on the street. And it's, there's a massive crane above me and a, and, a, and a building site. And it's like, is this where it ends? <laughs> and I turn around and it's a camper van just behind me. I don't know how I'd walk by and not notice them, but they the, they'd the tailgate up and um, of Real Madrid supporters, a family of them who had driven, I discovered from them, midnight on Friday. They finished work. Midnight on Friday, they got in their cars. They drove 12 hours to Paris for the game, mm-hmm. watched the game. They were now eating before they got on the road again to drive back. And they brought me over. They gave me, like, this is one of those things that, I, I you know, it's, it re- renews your faith a little bit that it's not all terrible. <laughs> and they gave me sandwiches and beer. And oh, commiser- my God. Commiserated with me on the side of the street. Now, part of me was, this is so lovely. Thank you, but I want to get the hell back to the airbnb and just get out of this but it was quiet there didn't seem to be anyone there there was the odd car going up and down um young fellas rolling down the window who clearly were not taxi or livery drivers going um uh 
taxi, taxi, you know, just to make a few pounds to get you wherever you wanted to go. Right. Um, but apart from that, it was pretty okay. I suppose at that point. So I had a sandwich with them, a beer, thanked them very much, walked back and on the way home, the streets, I suppose most of the fans were going back into Paris where they were staying. I was the only one who was really staying or I felt like I was the only one really staying local. And on the way back to Aubervilliers, my Airbnb, there was, all I got was a car would come, come alongside me and I'm like, oh God, no. Window would roll down and it'd be some French kid wearing a Benzema jersey who'd just go, Madrid. Madrid, and then yeah. speed off. So you I will guess- never, JJ, be able to properly commiserate with Liverpool fans about this event. Like it'll be 15 years from now and you'll be in a bar with other Liverpool fans. And somehow this, this final will come up. Ah, that the Real Madrid one in Paris. Oh, that's one that got away. And and you'll, you'll inevitably say I I was actually there and they'll stop and say, Oh my gosh. So, so tell us about it. I mean, the the chaos, you say, well, I, uh, I got to the stadium and I, uh, I walked right in and I'll say, Oh, okay. Well, but afterwards, I mean, the muggings and all that. Well, yeah, I, uh, it was harrowing. I, I left the stadium and, well, some, some people gave me food and, and shelter, and, I, and then I went home. Oh, yeah, I avoided, okay. I definitely avoided the worst of it because then, you know, you get back to the Airbnb and it's pretty late at this point because of the late kickoff. And I'm not going, I've, I've had enough. I wanted to go and commiserate with fans in, in the center of Paris, but I'm like, no, I'm not doing it. I've had enough. Yeah. I'll do something tomorrow. This is enough. And so I'm laying back on the bed, doom scrolling, and I just see the reports of what's happened to people. Jason McAteer's wife and son leaving the ground, just attacked and mugged. Um, people having things stolen from them. Uh, absolutely just, as Thierry, Thierry Henry said, um, it's not a place you want to be. Right. And I, like, it's easy, and, and we shouldn't fall into it. It's easy to um, disparage the area. But the area is, has been, you, you look any, look up any article about, about French, uh, France and French society and and demographics and it's it's been neglected it's not being looked after mm-hmm. it's um it's the poorest area uh bizarrely at the end of last year i say bizarrely maybe it's not bizarre but Forrest whitaker the american actor has been involved in a a kind of movement to try and revitalize the area for french youth there huh. because of the problems um the poverty in the region i don't know why he's attached to that area but he was involved in it with the French government. So, um, so no, it's not a place you want to be after dark. And unfortunately it lived up to, to its, up to its billing for a lot of people. It was, it was a nightmare. horrible nightmare. In the end, I don't know, you know, if this was a one-off, I mean, other champions league finals have happened without this sort of incident. Maybe it will be written off to, well, three months preparation. We always knew that could be an issue. Now we know that is certainly an issue. There's a reason we award these things, you know, multiple years in advance. Um, I'm sure there will be protocols in terms of how ticketing is checked beforehand. Maybe this will be the end of paper tickets for major UEFA events. Maybe it will now be cell phone only um, Mm. moving forward. So you can't counterfeit tickets. I mean, the French, the French government would have you believe there were 40,000 fake tickets. So uh, UEFA will have to look at that report and think of a new way of handling ticketing, um, checking people's tickets in a more calm manner, or I don't know. However, I don't know how locals without tickets were able to get that kind of access to a stadium. There's got to maybe be some kind of different checkpoint, uh, that prevents that sort of thing from happening. I don't know. I don't, 
I'm not smart enough, nor am I paid nearly enough, nor do I work for the people who would even care to know what my opinions are and how something like this could be changed. But obviously UEFA is going to have to look at this and a lot of things will change. I'm, sh- I'm certain of it moving yeah. forward. Can I, can I, I just want to make one point as well. And, and I don't want anyone to deliberately misconstrue what I'm about to say, but I'm going to say it. Um, so those young people from the locality who broke into the game and did other things after the game, if you rob or mug anyone, you're a scumbag. That's a fact. And that is a wrong action. And that is something you should never, ever do. But I was trying to look at the perspective of the young people who broke into the stadium to watch the game. Right. And I thought, here's this completely desolate, impoverished, under, under a funded region where they have nothing and their life prospects are probably not great. They have to get out of that region if they want to go anywhere, the place that they, that they were brought up in. Mm-hmm. And you have this massive like stadium, this beautiful stadium, bang in the middle of it. And suddenly a game that we know the people of Saint-Denis love, we know because of the fact of the amount of players that come out of that region. And they've got almost a, their hero, Benzema, is going to be at this game. He's going to be playing in this game and probably his crowning season. And they'll never be able to see that. It's right on their doorstep. Imagine, imagine trying to square that circle in your mind as a young person. It's a good point. This, this is happening in my neighborhood. I'll never get to see it. And there was enough chaos for them to take advantage of it and get into the ground. I'm not saying it's right. I don't think it's right. It's dangerous. But you have to kind of put yourself in, in their viewpoint. There's something wrong, Andrew. Like with, with all of this, the way the money, you know, the amount of money that was spent by supporters to go and see this game, to get tickets to this game, and then the way they were treated by the authorities. There's, it's, it's another inflection point in where you wonder what, what, what's happening to the game and where the game is ultimately headed. Well, I'll tell you what, let's go ahead. We'll take a break. We'll digest all that. We'll come back. We'll get into the game. Uh, what went on, why Liverpool were not able to win this, Jurgen Klopp's reaction to it, which was interesting. Um, all of that stuff, we'll get to that. We'll do a little bit of Lewandowski a little bit later on in the program as well, as he has now requested a move away from Bayern, which is huge news, probably the biggest news today that's happening in this sport. Uh, so there's still a lot to do here on Caught Offside. Don't go anywhere. Back now on Caught Offside. So a game happened. It wasn't just uh, pre-game chaos or post-game chaos. In between those two things, a a game happened, the biggest game of the year in club football, Um, Liverpool-Real Madrid, and it is Real Madrid 1-0. They win their 14th European trophy, whether it be a European Cup or Champions League. um, It is a competition that they clearly know how to win, and that was the case once again over the weekend. Man, so many things to get into with regards to this game. It was a one nil, but boy, it was it was pretty fascinating. I thought in a lot of different uh, a lot of different ways, and I'm obviously curious for you your viewpoint as someone who was there with a uh, a vested interest. Um, yeah, (laughs) the minute Real Madrid scored, I I thought we're in trouble here because we'd seen that Courtois was in no mood. We'd seen that. uh, Ancelotti had set the team up to be extremely compact and defensive minded. And also we were getting to that area, the, that time of the game 
where Liverpool's midfield was struggling. It, Liverpool's injured midfield, it's not fully fit midfield, was struggling. Modric was getting on the ball more. And it's not so much that Modric was getting on the ball and creating tons of chances for Real Madrid. Not the case. But the longer he had the ball, the more the clock ticked down, the more Real Madrid could take the sting out of Liverpool attacks. And um, uh, yeah, I, if they, when that goal went in from Vinicius, Andrew, I was, I was very worried, even though there was plenty of time for Liverpool to get an equalizer. Yeah, there was. And it's funny because only a week earlier, you know, we were doing our last day zoom session and you were getting worried about the Wolves Liverpool game. And I, I kind of, I'm of the opinion now we're in this era of Liverpool when they need a goal, they get one. It just seems to be the way things go. And I kept saying to you, don't worry, this isn't ending one mm. or even when it was one, one, I was saying, this isn't going to, this isn't the final score. Relax. You're going to get a goal. And they, and Liverpool did, they got two in the end. It didn't matter. Manchester city did what they had to do. Uh, but that I feel like there's a lot of people who have watched Liverpool for a while now that have become conditioned to think that way. It did not happen on this day. It and, didn't happen in finals for Liverpool period. Right. And we'll talk about that. Uh, as well. And, you know, Jurgen Klopp spoke afterwards and look, <laughs> I can say what I want to say about him being moaner in chief, the chief whiner of, of all things sport. He, he is those things by his own admittance. Sometimes he, he says, yes, I'm a sore loser. We, we know all that. Um, but he said afterwards when the goalkeepers, the man in the match, then something is wrong. Um, now, how much of this JJ is, Real Madrid, like you said, they were compact and their goalkeeper was sensational. And how much of it was, you know, Klopp is not, he's not really putting much on his team. He was very complimentary of his team. Liverpool outshot Real Madrid 24 to four. But like you just said, they did not score in this game. They did not score in either of their previous finals as well. At some point, does he have to look in the mirror, understand that finals are played a little bit differently, maybe? You know, we, we talk, we joke about that sometimes. Does he, he's never going to want to change. I, I understand that. And I respect that on a lower scale. Marcelo Bielsa was the same way. He lost his job this year. Now I'm just saying, you know, the crux of that was because of a refusal to change and it was hurting his team in, in important moments. This is a much different scale. This is not, you know, relegation, anything like that. Liverpool are doing just fine with the way they play, but they get into these, in these cup finals and it becomes more difficult. Do they need to do something differently? Should he be looking inwardly rather than blaming the teams that he plays for not playing the sort of style that he wishes they would play? Ah, uh, I don't, I don't, I don't think he really was there when he said. I, I think when he said there's something wrong, I, mean, I think he meant that. Yeah, the wrong was that Liverpool didn't score, not the that there was something inherently wrong with the way that Ancelotti's side played. I did. That's not what I took from it. But even if if that is what he meant, and to your point, um, there was just a few too many of the forward line, Andrew, who were not at it. Like Salah gave us one glimpse of what Mohamed Salah is with the amazing first touch and then the run that Thibaut Courtois made the brilliant save from. But we did not see a lot of that from Salah in the game. In fact, I thought overall he was quite poor. Diaz had a fairly bright start and then faded very, very quickly. He was pretty anonymous. He was pretty anonymous. Uh, Jota did not make that much of an impact when he got in. Firmino did better trying to tie the whole thing together. But um, I think I think the there was another issue as well in terms of getting that kind of craft and guile and getting the ball to the forwards in advantageous positions. Tiago pulling up in the warm up, and then Klopp just persisting with playing him. I, I like. I wonder about that. Um, Fabinho wasn't 100 percent fit. Faded as the game went on. Um, I, and 
you know, it's so weird though, because so many times uh, Kanate and Van Dijk just looked imperious, snuffing out Real Madrid, even, even the, the barest glimpses of, of an attack, they would snuff it out. And then on the, I suppose, on the goal, Trent Alexander-Arnold completely sleeping. So that's... How does he not know? Yeah, so that's what I wanted to say to you. You know, we can talk all we want about some of the players who were trying to play through injuries. Tiago, Fabinho. We can talk about Mo Salah not being at it. Diogo Jota coming in, not being at it. Luis Diaz wasn't good enough. All of those things may be true. But in the end, like, if Trent Alexander-Arnold doesn't fall asleep in a place where he just simply can't like he had, he knows Vinicius is running in from behind him. Like well, he I doesn't. just can't. That's the problem. How can he not know? I know. Like if that doesn't but happen, if he knew he would all, not the, re- all these other things that, that didn't go right for Liverpool on this night, like that may have still been the case. And they might've still like, like they did in the FA cup and, and league cup come away victorious, but like a player who they count on and in a, in a matchup that we had all talked about and focused on in the buildup, if he, if he does his job, who knows? Yeah. I mean, I didn't even, it wasn't even that good of a goal. Like Valverde. Valverde's, mean, a great pass. Valverde's cross is not even, like to me, though, his body shape on it, I thought he was like, I'm just going to thump this across the goal. I'm just going to hit this across the goal, which is exactly what happened. And it made its way through. But I, I didn't think, I mean, it was a breakaway I thought Liverpool should have been able to handle. But you could see from early in the move, like my seat was, in, in terms of seeing play emerge and open up, it was it was eye opening to watch a game at that vantage point that's not on TV. I could see everything, mm-hmm. and I thought, "Uh oh, there's Vinicius. There's there's no one close to him. There's no one." And Trent Alexander Arnold didn't do the little look over the shoulder. But I he's thought gone. he did. I thought that there's one view where he does look over his shoulder and sees him. Well, and he's gone he, tight. But he still, co- doesn't, he still doesn't kind of drift out wide. He stays tight. He doesn't he really. He stays too tight. And, and there was people talking about his body shape and everything. You know, I don't know. I don't know how much I can say really about that. By the way, I haven't watched the game back yet. I'm going to, but I haven't. So this is all from memory and, and, and from what, what a, I. What a fun experience that will be for you. <sighs> You have to do it, though. I really want to see what if what I saw tallies with what was everyone else saw on TV. But the ball comes across, and um, it's such an easy, such a tap-in. And I have to say, I thought Liverpool handled Vinicius very well for most of that game. I thought, uh, generally speaking, I, I, I thought Carvajal had a brilliant game, yes. like a, tr- a truly brilliant game um, for, for Real Madrid. But I thought, that by and large... Liverpool handled what Real Madrid could throw at them. There was there was obviously the, the the Benzema offside goal, which I can't comment on. I cannot. But that was like that was an oasis in a for Real Madrid in a desert that was all Liverpool. You know, that, that was one incident. And I think Liverpool didn't defend it particularly cleverly. So whether it was a goal or not, you guys can tell me. I don't know. I haven't watched it back yet. But um I, you know, generally speaking, Liverpool had a, a you know, a modicum or a more than a modicum, a lot of control on the general play in the game. But I'll tell you, even with all that said, we never Courtois save from Salah at the far post that he saves with his feet. That was a chance. The save with the arm that I talked about from Salah, that was a really good chance. The Brilliant man he won on save the post. Match, that was a chance. 
you know, the stats, particularly the American stats guys um, in the athletic, John Muller, and then on Twitter, Michael Goodman, they're breaking it down very simply. They say, look at the XG for Liverpool and then look at how Thibaut Courtois stood on his head. That's the game. That's how that sometimes a goalkeeper can have a freakish performance and the team that deserves to win doesn't win. Now, personally, I don't believe in deserve in football. I've given up on it. It's, you know, it's just such a weird term. You score or you don't. And Klopp did say that. Klopp said we never scored. And that was the difference. And that is the difference. A few other angles from this one that are worth talking about. Um, I don't know what you make of this, but it felt like, to me at least, a, a significant moment for Carlo Ancelotti. Um, I know he's already in that upper echelon of managers. Um, so like in my mind, there, were, there was a certain leveling up that occurred. Maybe some people will think that's silly. He's already a legend. He's already won European trophies, league titles. Like, why would you think that? He was also at Everton a year ago. Yeah. And like now here he is with Real Madrid and he's won this Champions League final after winning the league. And I feel like oftentimes, and, and I could be guilty of this as well, when we talk about the best managers in the world, he's oftentimes overlooked, I feel like. And I don't think, I just don't think he can be anymore. And maybe well, he wasn't. Maybe that's my own personal I think, issue. I think part of the problem with Ancelotti is he goes to like the biggest club in the league and, win, uh, you know, and wins there. And so there's a sense that in whatever respect, respective league he's in, there's like, oh, well, he should be doing that. Um, that said, he's a... Uh, but that's true of all of those guys. He's perfect. He seems perfect for cup competitions. Anyway, this this competition, he knows how to win it. He is. Uh, he's got no problems doing that. I think some of the things I've come to learn about him in the the weeks leading up to this, um, his ability to connect with his players. He seems like just the ultimate players' manager. Uh, they they really love him. I, I saw one article written about him. I, I can't remember who it was that wrote it. And I apologize, but essentially that he almost still views himself as a player Yeah, that is just kind of in the room with these guys. I, I think Ancelotti himself, he, he the, the picture that's now gone viral of him smoking a cigar, celebrating, I think, the league title. This is before mm-hmm. the Champions League, celebrating the league with his players. He just said that was just me with my uh, me smoking, celebrating with my friends. And he said, because that's how I view these these players. These are my friends. Um, oftentimes. You know, you have to have the right group of players, I think, for that type of manager to work. Um, and maybe that's why his, you know, he, he sometimes has abbreviated stays at certain places because maybe that, you know, sometimes a team needs more of a disciplinarian to come in. But when it works, I'm sure like the harmony in that room must be, it must be a fun team to play for, I would think right now. You, you heard stories a few hours before the match about who was it, Benzema Modric, um, and someone else, Casemiro, somebody else playing cards a couple hours before the game started. That there's just a, there was a calmness uh, in that room for Real Madrid, and I think it I think it starts at the top. I think it starts with with Carlo Ancelotti. Players yeah. seem to love him. Yeah, and I mean the fact he played on successful teams at AC Milan, and um, I heard something that I I have to check it out that he was on the bench for. Roma against Liverpool in 1984. <laughs> That's amazing that he was in the squad. Maybe he didn't come on, but he was. So he is talk about heritage in the European Cup. Yeah. I mean, he's got a lot of it and a lot of experience. And um, he seems like a relaxed kind of character, too. The only thing that ever seems stretched or taught about him is that one eyebrow that goes up. <laughs> Everything else is 
it's fairly it's fairly relaxed um but yeah i mean you have to give credit to madrid too they had a plan it was there's no point calling it negative by the way there's no point calling it park the bus it's catanacho whatever you want to call it they they had a plan they they did what they did in other games where they saw an inkling or not an inkling an opening and they took it and then they they shut the game down it was liverpool Liverpool couldn't get through them. And um, Barry Glendening made a point on the, the BBC, uh, sorry, excuse me, the Guardian Football podcast. You know, it's all right saying, well, if it wasn't for Courtois, Courtois is as much a part of the Real Madrid 11 as anybody else. The goalkeeper is, well, you can't criticize a team for having a, having a good goalkeeper. I, I, I actually thought his reactions afterwards were really weird. Yeah. Like, I, He's he's created this. Now we all know that professional athletes use different areas of psychology to fuel themselves, like the, the the siege mentality. Everyone's against you. We know Alex Ferguson used that all the time, but he genuinely feels as if he was disrespected. Um, I know his exit from Chelsea wasn't great. Like there was a bit of acrimony there between him and the fans, but I don't think anyone thought he was a bad goalkeeper or not up to it. It's I interesting mean, though, because part of me doesn't blame him for feeling that way and for things Why? that I didn't realize existed. Like, I don't know. I, we've always thought pretty highly of him. Like I always thought he was a great goalkeeper. You come to find out that, you know, four, four, two magazine, when they listed their top 10 goalkeepers in the world, didn't include him. So and, and he used that. Well, you're right to say, so what, but I would look at that and say, yeah, that is weird. He should, he should be on that list. Yeah, and I don't blame him really for taking slights like that and using them for motivation. Oh. I understand that. I uh, listen. I grew up a four four two, an amazing magazine, uh, like an iconic magazine. But it's mm-hmm. it's not what it used to be. And um, I mean, these lists they happen all the time. We I, there wasn't there a period of maybe two thousand and ten, two thousand and in and around that where all the internet was was just lists. <laughs> just lists of top 10 of everything but the fact that he he saw that 442 you've created a powerful enemy you know and and whatever motivates you fine but i thought i thought it weird afterwards because i never thought of him as you know a bad goalkeeper or goalkeeper or you know he's it's not going well for him at madrid or go prove yourself or i i don't know I never did either, but he, but there were people out there who did, and he is aware of every single one of them. Well, we're not going to forget this tournament. His save from Jack Grealish is the difference between Real Madrid going through and not. Now, I know they had to go down the field and score twice themselves, but they did. But if Jack Grealish, the millimeters of of, of the stud of Courtois that keeps that ball out and the saves Mm -hmm. he made, and I think he tipped another one around the post as well in that, in that game. So, you know, give, we're not going to forget about this tournament from Courtois, especially with the way he crowned himself as man of the match in the final. So, uh, yeah, he's... Well, look, if he feels he had to prove himself, who are we to say otherwise? And, and by the way, he did. You're right, because this, this will be remembered now. Whatever other stuff has gone on in his career that caused, for whatever reason, people to question him as a goalkeeper, I find that silly, but they were out there. That, that feels like it's gone now. It feels God, like this over. will be the, the legacy of Courtois, was his performance in the lead-up to this, and then a man of the match performance in a 1-0 shut out to win the title. I mean, look for Real Madrid in general, it's one of the great runs to a champions league trophy that we've ever seen the clubs that they had to go through 
um, the way Amazingly, they went about it. And this all began with them losing to Sheriff, Sheriff Tiraspol on the group stage. Seems a long time ago now. If someone asked me, when did Real Madrid lose to Sheriff Tiraspol? I would have said, oh, that was, what, two seasons ago or something? <laughs> you know? Uh, I, I think um, another one thing I do want to touch on, and obviously it didn't, um, you know, it was the same for both teams, but I wonder about how it affected maybe the flow of the game because it, it won't go down as a classic. It's better than a lot of finals we've seen, but it, it certainly won't go down as, as, as a classic. The fact that they had to warm up twice, you know, that was really weird. They came out for the warm up. We watched the warm up. Then they go back in and then they have another 36 minutes. Like that interrupt, that interruption has got to play. I guess. But like you said, it was equal. So and I don't also, really, why I wasn't, don't know. Why wasn't Camilla Cabello or whatever her name is, why wasn't she axed the minute that there was a delay? Why did so, we have to go through that? So that's it. I'm, it's an interesting thing that you bring up. It's not important, really, but it's uh, interesting. I don't know. Um, she had a fair amount of contempt for the fans as well. Afterwards, she deleted her tweets, but she was like, I couldn't believe that people uh, sang I, their their." I clubs. have it here. Go on. She said, um, playing back our performance, and I can't believe people were singing the team's anthem so loud during our performance. Like my team and I worked tirelessly for so long to bring right vibes and give a good show. Um so here's my oh thoughts my on that. Oh, shut up. Who cares? No one cares who you are. Here are my thoughts on that. Ugh. I don't I don't blame her for feeling um, aggrieved with, with how this played out. You Here, are. Here's who I blame. Unbelievable. You're afraid she, of the Cabello stands. No, I'm not. As if this is a, as if they listen to this podcast. <laughs> um, here's the problem. She is misplacing her frustration. It should not be with the fans of the teams. Um, it should be with UEFA. It should be with the event organizers. JJ, I've seen in the days since this, you know, you go on Twitter, you, I saw that statement from her, and then you see some of the comments about people talking about, well, this is what you get with the Americanization of, of European football. And I would say to those people, okay, fine. If you want to say that bringing in musical acts is, is an Americanization tactic, then all right. But if you spoke to an American organizer of a Super Bowl or an NBA Finals or another event, they would tell you, never put this right before kickoff. Never do that. No one wants it five minutes before the game. That's when you're supposed to be getting your fans of both teams loud and riled yeah. up for this event that we've been yeah. building up to. Don't put it there. Of course they're going to be singing their anthems. No one's in the mood for a, a musical act, no matter who it is, whether it's yeah. Camila Cabello or the Beatles reunion. Nobody would want it two minutes before the start of a championship. You put it at halftime. With the people who aren't interested, they're going to the bathroom anyway. They're getting beers. They're getting food. It's for people on TV who are casual fans. You do it there. Ladies and gentlemen, it's the Champions League final. Please put your hands together for Liza Minnelli. Like, <laughs> it's just like to put it right before kickoff. It's just, it's a brainless. Like, why would they ever do that? Did they not study any Super Bowl tape? Like, you do it here because it, like, this is when people are taking a break. And if they want to enjoy this thing during halftime when nothing's going on anyway, then they can. But right before the start of a game, when you've been building up to this for weeks and this is what you do, but also, no. But also, like, what did UEFA told her her role was? Like, oh. why are you here? What, it, like, because her entitlement, it was as if, Oh, I'm sorry, Camilla. Our Champions League final has intruded on your performance. You know, like I mean, look, she she probably thought that this would be for her what Super Bowl performances have been for other acts here in the United States. And we can say that they're not necessary or whatever. We're there to watch the game, but for a lot of people, that the Super Bowl halftime show is a big deal. 
And a lot of genuine football fans enjoy it too and watch it the same way that, you know, they watch the game. Then the halftime comes on. They don't go anywhere. They watch that too. Like it's not nothing. She probably thought this is a huge moment for me in my career, but they put it, it's placed in a spot where no one wants it, especially once it's compounded with the events that went on before the game, then it feels that much worse, but it was never, it's not realistic to think that they would five minutes beforehand decide, you know what? You're not going on that, that, too much oh, money I, has, I, has changed hands. That's not realistic. To oh, think that I think that was, there was a, well. Well, that's a sad indictment of, of 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 money in football. Then, because the fans outside have just been pepper sprayed and tear gassed, and they have to come into the stadium, and then it's you know, oh, as, as if it never happened. On goes Camila Camila Cabello. No, 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 no. Canned. Forget about it. Done. Out. Over. And the organization. I'll tell you, they couldn't organization the entry of fans into the stadium, but boy. Boy, could they get that tarp across the field really quickly for her and those dancers, whatever that hell that was. Well, at any rate, um, last last couple of things, and then we'll take a break and, and close out with some Lewandowski stuff and, and the U.S. actually in action on uh, Wednesday. Um, moving forward, I'm so curious as to where these clubs are headed. Um, obviously, they they're both of a level where they're like they'll just be great and they'll continue to be in that upper echelon. Um, but it is also a, a crossroads of sorts. Like we, yeah. we, you know, we, we talked about Kylian Mbappe choosing to stay with PSG rather than go to Real Madrid and help replenish uh, an aging team. Like, well, can Kareem Benzema continue at this rate? Can Luka Modric who feels ageless, but at some point that's just not, it's not possible that he can keep going at this rate. It sounds like he's going to stay there. Um, yeah, obviously they do have young players coming through on the ranks. I think Vinicius has risen to that level. Like he's just the next great young superstar in this sport. Um, and I think that goal for him was, was a moment like that was a, a sort of I've arrived moment for him. Um, Kamavinga. I mean, I know you've spoken about him throughout this, the entirety of this champions league, what a player in the midfield that, that he is, um, you know, we saw in defense Militao, uh, you know, there's, there's still good players there who are young and in their prime. Um, but, you know, not having that replenishment with a player like Mbappe, where do they go next? And then for Liverpool, you know, the uncertainty for them. I mean, you can feel good about Luis Diaz coming in and, and starting to replenish there, but it sounds like Sadio Mane is good as gone. That's huge. That is a massive departure for this club. A guy who's been, you know, maybe he flies under the radar because most Salah steals the headlines, but in terms of importance, Mane is, is almost right there with him step for step. Um, it, this is an interesting moment for both teams. It's a, it's a very interesting moment. I think th- those people who feel it might be the end of something for Real Madrid might be correct in that, you know, we talked about the long-term planning. That, that, w- that was always going to include Kylian Mbappe. So what happens now? It's going to be curious to see that on Liverpool. Um, so I was texting back and forth with my, my friend Colm. Just as I'm waiting to get off the plane on Sunday. And we're talking about Mane leaving. And we can't figure out a player to come in and replace those goals. It's going to be so tough. And also not to replace those goals. He was part of a, of a, of a triumvirate that worked so well together. Salamana and Firmino. And it's okay to say Diaz comes in and Jota has come in as well, but replacing Mane's goals, I think Mane is a, a better finisher than either of them. So you take that on board and then you look at the midfield, Andrew. Thiago, wrong side of 30, 
repetitive injuries. Um, Jordan Henderson, what happens there? Uh, um, Fabinho as well, although, I mean, I think Fabinho is going to be around for a little bit longer, but I started to think maybe we need another central midfielder. From where? Who are we going to get it from? Well, look, Mane is going to cost money. So Liverpool are going to get a significant windfall of cash for him. And I think the other thing here is, um, I think Klopp is a manager that guys want to play for. I think Liverpool has become, you know, they haven't necessarily needed to flex this muscle because their team is so stacked. And so there's not a lot of room to break into that 11. But now there is. We're starting to see that maybe now there will be. And I, I, I think that you're going to see guys who want to go there. Liverpool will become a destination as long as Jurgen Klopp is there. I think people, you know, attack-minded players will like that style. You know, the sense of family that he has seemingly created among that club. I think it, it gives off a good vibe for a it, lot of guys. So I, I think you'll see that. You may not know who the targets are now, but I think this, is, this doesn't – it might be the end of one era. You know, the, the Mane Firmino – Sala era, maybe like you, you take out a guy from that or, or possibly multiple guys from that and things will change. But I don't know that it means it's the end of their success. I think as long as Klopp is there, I think, you know, I still think they can be a great team. Yeah, and we have to see their, how their recruitment changes with Michael Edwards leaving. That's another thing we haven't yet seen the ramifications of him moving on. How important was he? Yeah, we'll the problem is their, their chief rival has signed Erling Haaland. And, and all that's well, happened to Liverpool so far is they've lost Sadio Mane. Well, that's the other thing as well. I mean, Liverpool would have, what, two more Premier Leagues in this, in this hall if uh, Manchester City weren't, weren't driven by the money that they're driven by and, and, and the managers that they have. So that's, that's another factor. Can Liverpool keep, keep it up against the relentless investment of, of Manchester City? This one, just to, to round it off, Andrew, mm. this one is going to sting. So that was actually going to be my last question to you. Rank, rank this. Worst JJ Liverpool losses. Um, you know, obviously Ch- Chelsea 13-14. Um, uh, going back to 1990, FA Cup, then the late win for United in the was it fourth or fifth round. Fifth round, I think. Uh, this is this is a trophy that was there for the taking, and um, and it's disappointing that this won't be added to. For Klopp to have had two European Cups, a Premier League, and everything else that he that he has won would have been would have been more fitting at this stage. I think down the line, when we look back and we we do the we do the tally of of Klopp's era, this one is going to be oh that. That got away. And that's no disrespect to Real Madrid or what they did to say that. It's a weird era for Liverpool. Like, I think, like you said, when we look back down the line, um, this era will, will be remembered in a way for them that is not going to align with, with their trophy cabinet. Does that make sense? I think that like you'll be in a bar mm. 20 years from now talking about Klopp's era at Liverpool, and you'll speak about it so fondly. And then somebody will go to their cell phone and say, let me go back. Let me, I'm just curious. I'm trying to remember all the things they won. And you're going to see what they won. And you're going to say, that's it. That's it. That doesn't make sense. Those teams are so great. I I just feel like that's it. It all. I mean, everyone's going to, every Liverpool supporter will remember this era, even as it continues, hopefully 
uh, as, as hugely enjoyable and, and so happy a time. Mm-hmm. But if you're someone who deals in cold, hard currency of trophies, you'll say it, 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 it underperformed. At this, at this juncture, yeah. at this juncture, with Klopp committed to you know, extending his contract, who knows? But right now it feels like we've let one slip away that should definitely be in the cabinet. Yeah, yeah, I would, I would agree with that. Fascinating. I'll tell you what, let's go ahead. We'll take one more break. When we come back, we'll wrap up with a few other things going on, big things going on around the world. Lewandowski, uh, a couple other things as well. Don't go anywhere. Back now on Caught Offside. One final thing, JJ, that I, I forgot to mention when we were closing out our Liverpool conversation there about how this all remembered. Um, I'm never going to be that guy who criticizes the way a team decides to celebrate something. Mm. Um, so I was generally, I was fine with it, but I know some people took issue with Liverpool throwing this massive parade um, a day after what was a, a failure, yeah, you know, an unfortunate failure for, for those fans and for the team to have lost a champions league final just a week after they had fallen just short of the premier league title. Um, so the optics for a lot of people of seeing them celebrate the way that they did was, was unusual. Again, I don't have a problem mm. with it. And if neutrals or fans of other teams want to rip it, I would just say to you, it's not for you. Like, it's not for you to really decide whether or not they should be celebrating or not celebrating. It's for those fans. And if the fans are, are enjoying it and feel that for them, there were successes here that, that do deserve celebration, then, then fine. Then, then, then go have fun. It, it's sports. And like, there's no reason to, if you want to be happy about something, then there's no reason for other people to tell you, don't be happy about this. You should not be celebrating this. It's not, it's not for a Manchester United fan or a Tottenham fan <clears> to kind of make those, those judgments. I, t- I, I found it a bit weird watching it, to be honest with you, because it had been so quickly after such a huge disappointment. The last vision of Virgil van Dijk I saw on the turf at Stade de France was him, like he had to be lifted up. He just stayed in the penalty, the Real Madrid penalty box for about five, six minutes, just sat there and he looked crestfallen. And then the next image I see of him is on a bus with Calvin Harris. Mm-hmm. Um, while Calvin Harris is dropping some tunes and Virgil is enjoying it and having a drink. Look, um, does James Milner pointed out as well, we didn't, they didn't get a chance to do this for the Premier League to have this celebration at all. So it was kind of, it was always coming. There was always going to be this point at which to do it. They did not have a chance to do it for the Premier League. They would not have a chance to do it for either of these trophies that they won this season um, at any other point because players are, are breaking up for um, international duty and then they go away for the summer. So there's, there's, there's that. Um, yeah. Does it feel weird and, and a bit like... The one thing I would say is that the Liverpool supporters that turned out in their tens of thousands to lift the team after what happened on Saturday night was, was pretty amazing. And it, it goes to show the strength of that fan base as well. But yeah, look, if you're a rival supporter, of course you're going to mock it. Of course right. you're going to And look, it. I should say, Whatever. I found it odd. But like, but like I just said, I was kind of, I, I found it odd. The visual you just described of players who were crestfallen and fans who were crestfallen and now here they are celebrating. Yeah, it's, it is a strange visual. But like I said, it's not... It's not for me. So it's not really like my viewpoint of it doesn't really matter. Nah, it's such a it, fan intensive decision. Yeah. But I mean, like other things we've seen this week, it's, it's all to the prism of tribalism now. It's, mm-hmm. you know, 
even the, the the horrific events on Saturday night, you you still had people like, you know, some some guy I got no God knows where in the Midwest of America, you know, tweeting me and telling me, oh, interesting, none of this happened at the Real Madrid end, hmm, you know, and he's some guy he's probably never even been Whatever. to, yeah, you know, but like that's that's all the tribalism, like, and he he supports whoever he supports. That's the way it works now. So, um, yeah. Look, if you found it odd, fair enough. I can see your point of view. If you thought it was a good idea to celebrate, can see that too. Who cares? Let's go have a sandwich. Uh, Robert Lewandowski, JJ. His time at Bayern Munich appears to have ended, which is a, a huge statement. Or he, he appears to be bringing it to an end. He said, I mean, this is, I'm just reading a, a portion of his statement uh, where he said, one thing is certain today, my story with Bayern is over. After everything that has happened in recent months, I cannot imagine further good cooperation. Um, so I saw that. And then Oliver Kahn, Bayern's chief executive and Bayern Munich legend, he responded by telling German TV channel Sport One, I can't tell you why Robert chose this path. Public statements like that don't get you anywhere. I think he should know what he has at Bayern. Appreciation is not a one-way street. So I saw this back and forth, and I was kind of to myself just thinking, what is this like, – what is this about? How has he been? Clearly he believes he's been disrespected in some way. What is that? Where does that come from? And then if you dig a little bit, uh, you find this um, reading here from the daily mail. Lewandowski has not been happy at Bayern for some time with it recently being claimed that he told friends that he started to consider leaving when the club's sporting director, Hassan Salihamidzic expressed interest in signing Erling Holland in late August or last August. Hmm. Um, and Lewandowski viewed that as a, oh, you're done with me, are you? Well, I can turn those tables rather quickly. Seems to be the and case. And appears he has. He has. Now, where he goes is, uh, if he goes and where he goes is interesting. Um, Javier Tebas from La Liga says he ain't going to Barcelona. Speaking to Marca, the La Liga chief said, they, Barcelona, know what they have to do. They know perfectly well our economic control rules and their financial situation. The rules are there to avoid major economic problems. I don't know if they will sell De Jong, Pedri, or Pepito Perez. They know what they have to do. Sell assets and earn more. This is what they have to do. Barca has had many accumulated losses in the last tax years, some which could have been avoided, and they have to stock the pantry. <laughs> Just as Madrid have stocked up, Barcelona have emptied it. Today, they cannot sign him, Lewandowski. So, boy, that's such an interesting statement. Right. He's right. As soon as I saw that, Bar that Lewandowski, that Barcelona was where it appears he's headed, initially my gut reaction was, how? All I've heard for the last couple of years is that they can't, they can barely continue doing business. How are they planning on doing this? Um, so, like, he's, he is right to say that. It's also strange, though, for the guy who's basically in charge of the league. Like, it almost sounds like, like, Robert Lewandowski going into Barcelona and going into La Liga, ultimately you would think would be a good thing for that league. You know, they've yeah. lost Leo Messi. Um, Real Madrid right now appear to be the clear number one in that league without great competition at the moment. You would think he'd want Barcelona to be back at that level where they could, they could battle Real Madrid and, and Lewandowski going there would be something that would be good for that. Um, it sounds like he's almost rooting against it. <laughs> Just <laughs> his statement is, is again, it's, it's all things that I thought as well. It just seemed, it seemed like a very, um, 
kind of heavy handed, harsh statement, as opposed to it probably is, just felt like there was a different way maybe to have levied that message um, in a way that didn't feel so, uh, 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 don't even think about it. Yeah. I don't know. It's, um, and, and if Barcelona were to be somehow funded again by some rich American hedge fund or vulture capitalists, maybe this becomes more possible. I thought Barcelona were restocked. I thought the pantry was restocked with loads of U.S. dollars. Oh. Uh, I don't know. Don't know how that works. Um, but the, th- the names that are mentioned there, like they can't sell Pedri for Lewandowski, right? Yeah, I wouldn't do it. I wouldn't do it. Um... And, and it's, it seemed like De Jong was the player who was slated to go. But now there's reports today that he doesn't want to go, which could complicate this. So Lewandowski right now is, it sounds like terms have almost been a- agreed to. It's just a matter of getting the clubs to come to some kind of agreement or Barcelona making room for this to, to happen uh, and for his signing to be certified. Um, so, but I don't know. The, the statements from, from the player and from Bayern just seem to a point where a relationship moving forward is untenable. And boy, what, I mean, again, what a summer. Like last summer it was Messi leaving. Now Holland has left a team to go elsewhere and uh, Lewandowski appears headed elsewhere. It's just interesting that like we entered this summer thinking that the biggest name to be leaving would be Kylian Mbappe. And he seems to be the biggest name who's going to remain with his club. So uh, this sport is, is so unpredictable, but this is um, a potentially huge moment with uh, a player of Lewandowski's talents preparing to, uh, to head elsewhere. And he's, you know, 312 goals and 384 Bundesliga games. He's he is a legend. He's one of the best players on earth. And even though he's kind of at the end of his prime, he is still in it. And wherever he goes, I would imagine a club like that, he's going to go somewhere that's already a good team. You know, does he bring Barcelona back into a, a Champions League favorite conversation? I don't know. It, I don't know. Interesting. It's going to be a long summer of this stuff, I think. A um, couple quick ones. I don't have much to say on this, but I know it's a topic that you've mentioned a few times. So I'll, I'll if you've got anything on it, Ralph Ragnick will not be staying on at Manchester United as a consultant. Oh, um, I don't think anyone can be surprised by this. Um, and I don't even know how much it impacts whatever Manchester United are going to be moving forward. Um, he's, you know, he, it didn't work for him as manager, but he is a good football mind who has a track record of success. I would think having that guy uh, and his voice available to you to advise on things would be, would be valuable, um, but that won't be the case. No, he's going to be the manager of Austria. So that, uh, that says a lot. United did make uh, one move, though, or announced a move today. Andy O'Boyle has been directed, uh, has been appointed as our deputy football director. He will provide support to John Murta, football director, in driving the club's football strategy across the first team academy and women's team. So I don't know what that means. Assistant to the regional manager, as we know, is... <laughs> That's the line from the office. So <clears throat> that's a, an appointment. Uh, Andy O'Boyle, who previously been a coach at the club, a youth coach, returns to Manchester United as well. Um, you saw the incredible scenes at St. Etienne, Andrew, I, I presume. I did. Where, um, yeah, I think that video is one of the wildest things I've ever seen. So St. Etienne are, are relegated. Final whistle happens and the supporters break onto the field and launch flares towards the dugout. Um, just unbelievable kind of, I've never seen anything like it, using the flares as, as missiles, really. Just really, really quite scary. And um, what's the other bit of news that I've been contemplating? Not a good look. 
these past not, few days and for for France and no, not really. and their soccer culture. Not really. Um but we've I mean it's not the first time we've seen it. We've seen uh, stadium partial stadium closures and stadium closures in Marseille and Lyon and places like that. So there's uh there has been issues with French football. Um quite apart from what happened on Saturday night. That'd be interesting. Mail- in your interview that you did with who was it? Neil um, Neil Atkinson. Atkinson in, yeah. in our preview. I mean, he came out and said that, you know, Paris should be like, he would have a rotation of basically just like four places where the final would be held on yeah. the rotation and, and nowhere else. Yeah. Um, that didn't age well. No, it didn't. Uh, but I mean, it was the, it was the French authorities. Like we, the, the town itself, the, the experience I had was unbelievable. People so friendly. The food was good. Architecture, the weather, magnificent. And and in every other area of the city, they were well able to 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 handle an influx of supporters. It's at the stadium. Um, but we're going over old ground here. Yeah. One one other thing that's popped up on my uh, on my timeline, Andrew. Uh, Daily Mail reporting that Peter Drury will replace Arlo White <gasps> for NBC's Premier League games. Oh my God! Yes. So that's, I've only seen it on the Daily Mail so far that it's circulating on the Twitter sphere. But uh, the Daily Mail are reporting that um, Drury is to begin commentating Premier League games for NBC Sports when the new season starts on August 6, 2022. Prior to this season, Drury has been calling the biggest games on the world feed, often alongside Mr. Jim Beglin. So will it be the Beglin Drury axis for America? Well, this statement that you're reading doesn't say anything of Graham Lasso or Lee Dixon, right? No. Right, well, I would assume that they would still remain. Why would you assume wow, that? Arlo. Oh, man. I feel terrible for him if this is true. I mean, I, what you're reading isn't just some random dude. So, wow. Oh, that's... I mean, look, Peter Drury is great. Um, so, Premier League fans here in the U.S. But if you like, were mixing things up on the NBC coverage, and it's it's pretty invidious and maybe not appropriate of us who are in somewhat adjacent to this industry <laughs> to talk about other people and their, their jobs. But if you were shaking the coverage up, would Arlo be the one you go to, to remove? I don't know that I would feel the need to remove anyone. I'm mm. I think a lot with, of Americans would feel the same way you do. I feel pretty good with, with NBC's broadcast. I think, uh, I think NBC studio and, and on site. I think NBC has got into a comfortable socks position where Americans like the team they have they've liked it from from the get-go in 13 14 and, and don't want to change wow i want i mean is he out from nbc or could they I have multiple I, teams now like could could you know like any sport here in the u.s there's like your a announcing group you know your buck aikman and then there's like the b guys like could could peter drury just take over those top games of the week and arlo could be calling like the secondary game? I, I don't know. Maybe. Who knows? I'm just, wow. That's shocking. I mean, for, boy, he's, for a lot of American fans, like he's been the voice of their Premier League weekends um, here in the United States. It's yeah. kind of, for a lot of people, you know, NBC's coverage has brought a lot of new fans into the fold and he's been the face and voice of it. So if that's true, that's a, that's a big deal for soccer coverage here in the U.S. And look, again, Peter Drury is, is a phenomenal announcer. And the coverage won't suffer because of it. I mean, he's he's a legend already, uh, so he'll be great. But there's just a certain 
I don't know. Hearing that news is just kind of shocking because uh, he's like Arlo. It's, it's kind of just like the wallpaper. You turn on NBC or USA on the weekends. And if me comes not on, then it's going to be Arlo's voice. And that's wow. Now I'm, well, I'm I, hope, reading this- I hope he lands somewhere because he's he's great. I'm reading this from World Soccer Talk, uh, who got quoted their reputable site. Christopher Harris wrote this. But I can't find a Daily Mail article that says this. So, um, but I'm sure. Oh, are you spread? What What are you spreading right now? What? You. You've come on here. You've said this, but you can't find the article. No, the article is uh, it, the. It's a World Soccer Talk article that's quoting from the Daily Mail, but I don't. I don't see the Daily Mail article. Um, oh boy. Oh, okay. Well, you while to- you while you search for it, uh, I'll close us out just by saying a couple huge. Well, really big international uh, soccer matches happening this week. Obviously, the U.S. are in action in Cincinnati on Wednesday. They host Morocco. Um, and like this is we're kind of in it now in terms. OK, like we're in the World Cup. So those big matches of consequence um, are behind us. And for a lot of the squad, they know that these games are about developing chemistry and, and sort of just like fine tuning. Um, but for a lot of guys, these matches now are are it. This is these are the tryouts to get on that team. And with spots opening up, you know, obviously miles Robinson's injury that presents an opportunity for someone, Um, you know, Eric Palmer, Brown guys like that. Like this is, this is a real opportunity. We'll see who gets slotted in next to Walker Zimmerman. Um, But you know, one thing I saw over the weekend, Georgie Mihalovic going down with an ankle injury. I felt terrible for him because he's, he's 23. He's, he's hitting his prime. It's all happening for him at, at sports is all about timing and he's hitting it just right. His prime, World Cup year at the end of the year, um, like it's it's all kind of coming together for him. And I'm not saying this is the end of anything. Uh, he might he just misses this window. But like if it's fine margins that are going to decide who makes this team deeper down the bench, you, availability is going to be key. Bearhalter's got to get a chance to see these guys and how they kind of work with the players around them. Uh, so that was a, that was a tough break. I really felt I felt genuinely bad. Um, for him when I saw that he had to withdraw from the squad, they're not replacing him still 26 men um, on the squad, but um, it'll, I can't wait to watch it and start to get a sense of guys who are, whose stock is going up, going down. So that'll be interesting. And also us related JJ. um, We're going to finally start to get a sense of how this group for the U S is going to round off as Scotland and Ukraine will finally play their world cup playoff match this Wednesday. Um, So Boy, Andy Robertson goes right from the Premier League battle into a Champions League final. And then a couple of days later, he's off to Scotland for one of the biggest, maybe the biggest international game of his entire career. He's this has been just like he's going to wake up two weeks from now, just exhausted. Like it's all going to just hit that guy. Um, But so, yeah, so we'll start to get a sense. Obviously, the winner of that will go on and play Wales for the right to get that final spot in the, uh, the U.S. England Iran group. So American fans will certainly have a keen eye on that one on Wednesday as well. So a big week, big week of uh, international soccer to come. Have you found anything yet or do I, do we yeah, just so, end this and leave the people in limbo? So, well, no, this is what world soccer talk are saying. Uh, the daily mail first reported the news that Peter Jory is replacing Arlo white as the lead commentator for NBC's coverage of the Premier league. Subsequently sources to world soccer talk confirmed the report is accurate. So wow. that is Christopher Harris world soccer talk saying that that is an accurate report. Oh, man. Wow. That's big. That's big. Well, 
our thank you to Arlo for all these years where he's he's been the voice for uh well we, for like this you said we don't know country. where he's going we don't know what he's doing maybe he'll unblock me on twitter now <laughs> you're he blocked you yeah what did you actually, do you know, to have that happen i think he got the wrong end of a stick someone was accusing him of being unlistenable when when leicester city are playing of being biased and i i i responded ah, in fairness arlo calls it straight down the line he'll give you plenty of local knowledge on Leicester, but he calls it straight down the line and he just blocked me. <laughs> I think I got blocked. I think it was uh, in, in terms of a Twitter, uh, you know, it, it, I got hit with shrapnel. Okay. You were collateral damage. Collateral damage. But yeah, that can happen. Yeah. Well, can. whatever, whatever it was, I side with him and I just want him to know that. <laughs> uh, JJ, this was fun. Um, I'm sorry your weekend ended the way that it did. It sounds like overall it was an enjoyable time for it you. It was a great look. It was a great time, and uh, the match and the the debacle around it um, marred it, obviously. But I'm back in one piece. I avoided some of the things that other people had to uh, endure, so I'm okay. I'm fine. Uh, let's get on with it. Well, there you go. We got a U.S. MNT match on Wednesday, which we're looking forward to. So still a lot going on, even though the club season has finally come to an end. Uh, still, my, we didn't even talk about your your other team. Nottingham Forest is now back in the Premier League. We didn't even get to that, but just didn't even that, get to the uh, championship. Disgraceful, but I blame you for that. And and we were rightfully torn to shreds by somebody I saw for not mentioning uh, the Europa League final. That was that was poor by us. Well, I'm going to say yeah, it right now it was poor. That was poor. Um, it was an oversight. It was it wasn't a great game. I'll give you the quick stuff. Doesn't matter. It wasn't a great game. Um, went to penalties and uh, Rangers were left crestfallen and Aaron Ramsey in particular. All yeah, we, we all know by now, the point of this was for me to say that we were wrong to have ignored it. It happened weeks ago, Jade. No, we've covered it now. Covered. <laughs> okay. Well, hey, this was fun, man. To you, I say. Check you later, fun boy. I'll see you. Take care. You've been listening to the Caught Offside Soccer Podcast. 